Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, my friends, Roto World's Josh Norris here with another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast, the most important podcast in the universe. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. We're still here with the NFL playoffs, but that's not today. That comes later on this week. That podcast will be available for your ears to digest if that's what ears do. Tonight, instead, slash today, this morning, whenever you're listening to this, we're going to be talking about the coaching carousel, the new hires. Of the six teams as of this podcast recording that have made new additions with two teams left. And I can't do that without my friends Raymond Summerlin and Roto Pat. Pat, let me first go to you. Who leans further left? You or Cody Parkey? Oh my God. That's <laughs> just, I mean, this is he's already gonna lose his job. We don't have to ruin his life with terrible jokes, Josh. I, I would not say I'm ruining his life with a terrible joke. It <laughs> was definitely a what you're joke. doing. You know, he'd been like keeping his head held high all week, just knowing, sure. you know, just part and parcel of the job. But that's the that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Ray, we also since you and I have and and Pat have done now two podcasts in a row, the three of us. I feel like we need a survivor slash big brother trio name. So will you get to work on that or do you have any that come to mind? Yeah. So I had a, I had a rap group one time. Uh, <laughs> that was, that was, that was two big guys. I, I was amongst the big ones as anybody <laughs> seen me know. And, and a small guy, we called it little in the middle, but I guess that that doesn't really, I guess that doesn't really work here. Oh, Oh, I've got it. I've got it. Go. Double stuffed Oreo. Yeah. There you go. What? And I'm the stuff. Yes. <laughs> Sounds good. Both of you are fairly tasteless, so yeah, it works. Okay, we need, uh, um, we need this whole portion of the podcast just erased from history. Nope, it's sticking. By the way, just shoot us a tweet if you have a better name. Uh, okay, guys, I thought we would go in chronological order. Obviously, all the news and everything is covered up on Rotorworld, so go and check that out. It wasn't announced first by the team, but it was broken first, and that is Matt Lafleur to the Green Bay Packers. Ray, since you watch the Titans every Sunday. Give us a breakdown of what you think of this move. Yeah, I mean, I think people are looking at the Titans offensive stats and saying, well, why did they go in and get this guy? I, I think that the Titans were excited to hire him. I think that they are upset to be losing him. At least that's what it seemed like whenever John Robinson was talking. And I think that if you're just looking at their stats, you're overlooking basically what happened to this team all year from an injury perspective, specifically Marcus Mariota, but it goes deeper than that injuries on the offensive line and things like that. 
And I think you can look at pockets of of production and say that there were there were instances in here where he did a pretty good job around the bye week when Mariota was healthy before he got hurt against Indianapolis again. There was it was there were some interesting things going on late in the season. Obviously, they were able to get Derrick Henry going and and have all that work. So I kind of understand it. I will say I don't really know what what he's going to be as an offensive coordinator still because all of those issues the fact that he didn't really have a, a healthy quarterback like I don't think you can make any definitive statements about what you think he's going to be I think in general we can say that he's actually going to bring a modern offense to Green Bay which I mm-hmm. guess that that's positive there will be pre-snap motion the Titans used a ton of play action this year under him uh, you'll see you know route combinations bunch of stacks things that are generally focused on getting easier completions for the quarterback, which I, I mean, as we start to see Aaron Rodgers kind of, kind of get into his decline phase, I think that that's going to be helpful. Well, will Rodgers actually operate in that structure and play within it? That's an open question. But I think that at least Green Bay is going to have a a modern offense moving forward, which hasn't really been the case of late. Pat, I think you could say because Aaron Rodgers is attached to it, and I'm not saying it's totally the roster is the best one, but this might be the best job that was out there also because of kind of the job security enables you as well. And it certainly seemed like the Packers were dead set on making Matt LaFleur the first hire out there. It does. It was a hashtag stunning hire. Uh, just kind of, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. Just like it wasn't out of nowhere that he was in the mix, but out of nowhere that, uh, like it just came, it happened very suddenly and Ray broke it down very well. I mean, pretty, it's just shocking how many of these hires were just like all about the quarterback. But you could argue with now that Adam Gase, five of these six hires were about all about the quarterback. And the Packers, they just want someone to teach kind of their old dog new tricks, basically, and Aaron Rodgers. And maybe someone who will kind of get out of his way. You know, not that uh, Matt LaFleur is going to be like a, a figurehead or a patsy or anything like that, but just someone – just like a sounding board for Aaron Rodgers, just new ideas for Aaron Rodgers, someone more willing to work with Aaron Rodgers. And uh, you could almost argue that Matt LaFleur, uh, the stats are disappointing, obviously, for but the reason stuff, the reasons Ray laid out, you could almost argue the Titans offense overachieved at points this season. Hmm. I mean, they won, I believe they won more than one game with Blaine Gabbert. Uh, maybe it's only one game with Blaine Gabbert, but he won at least a single game with Blaine Gabbert, which that's like an immediate bullet point on the resume. <laughs> that's the call of fame status already. Yeah. Yeah, if you're shopping around your your CV, uh, that's like very that's like that's like really you highlight that one, and it's just it's all about Aaron Rodgers. It's all about someone that you know I've seen I've seen the word thrown around on Twitter, but like someone who can maybe challenge Aaron Rodgers. But I I, I think his job is yeah not to be a new uh, not to be like a like the new eyes and ears for Aaron Rodgers, but just kind of a new guy, just a new partner, a new sounding board, and. Uh, yeah, it's all about Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, so Ray, I mean, this basically whittles down to they want to construct and build an offense that Aaron Rodgers is not going to check out of when the play call comes in. <laughs> yeah, uh, with a coach that he doesn't actively despise. Right. Yes, and like it's also I think this kind of spe- like uh, you know Brian uh, Gutekunst is that how you pronounce Gutekunst. the GM? Oh, I have no idea. No idea. How Gutekunst. To um, he seems much more comfortable. Like, uh, not that Ted Thompson, like, uh, completely hands off, but he was more hands off of like the 53, like the everyday goings on of the team than I feel like most modern GM. I feel like Gutekunst is a uh, comfortable kind of taking more of a lead kind of with the rest of the roster, like the roster construction and his, his like assignment to Matt LaFleur is you just make the offense work. I'll try to take care yeah. of the rest. You know, we retained Mike Pettin. And you, you just – you got to fix this offense. Yeah, and what they did to move around last year's draft, I mean, Gutekunst is someone who's widely respected. Again, I mean, Ray Ray pointed out why 
Um, the Titans offense was the way it was. And, you know, we're still waiting for Marcus Mario to hit his stride and, you know, be healthy for an entire season. We're still waiting for Marcus Mariota to be good. Right. Question right. Mark? And, and, but because of that, and again, why Ray uh, laid it out for us. I mean, we still didn't know the, like the identity of the Titans until Derrick Henry started to take over, you know, and that wasn't until like the final four or five games of the season. So, and I'm not convinced that that's what that he's going to do. Wanted yeah. the, I don't know if you're sure that's what he wanted the identity to be. It was almost like, this is, this is what we have to do right. to give ourselves a chance. Yeah. It seemed like he fought against it basically for the first three fourths of the season, yeah. which you could argue in some ways is concerning uh, since it was clearly their best approach. Well, but, uh, we yeah. have Matt LaFleur who had one season as a play caller in the NFL Moving on now to the Arizona Cardinals, hiring Cliff Kingsbury, who has no seasons as a play caller uh, in the NFL. We know Cliff Kingsbury has been, I believe, out of a job since November after being fired by the vaunted Texas Tech team. Um, Cliff Kingsbury was also the man who coached Baker Mayfield, who coached Patrick Mahomes, and who coached Davis Webb, among others, um, before they reached the NFL. Pat, we all know that Texas Tech puts up a lot of points, and we all know that the Cardinals just fired Steve Wilkes, who was a defensive-minded head coach. Um, is this just another case where the team and a franchise looks to the opposite end of the spectrum and goes from a somewhat boring defensive-minded coach to a young, flashy, obvious offensive-minded coach? I think you could justifiably label this a desperation move, but then you could just as justifiably label it a justified desperation move. This is a rescue mission for Josh Rosen. Uh, Maybe Byron Leftwich would have been the man for the job, uh, but it seemed like the guy who was going to unlock Josh Rosen's potential, if there is NFL potential there, probably wasn't in the building last year. And, so when you're hiring Cliff Kingsbury, you're hiring someone, you know, maybe an unproven leader, certainly an unproven leader at the NFL level, since he's never coached in the NFL, uh, has a horrible uh, defensive background. And, and of course, he's not a defensive coach, obviously, but I mean, astoundingly bad, even by Big 12 standards, astoundingly bad defenses at Texas Tech. So there's a lot of legitimate question marks with Cliff Kingsbury, but I think the Cardinals have correctly uh, diagnosed that, you know, if you don't have a quarterback, if you don't have an offense, I mean... The other stuff, it doesn't matter anyway. Like You're not going to have a winning team. You're not going to have a playoff team. Like the, the franchise will be stuck in neutral. So, you know, if we talk, they talk about culture. They talk about leadership, all that sort of stuff when you hire a new coach. Uh, you can't. The Cardinals, first and foremost, need to unlock Josh Rosen. And then if Cliff Kingsbury can do that, hopefully the other stuff uh, will follow. Uh, certainly unconventional, certainly a risky hire. But I, I think it was a, a legitimately bold hire and one that I am uh, tentatively on board with. Can I, on on the defense point. So I I think that there's, I do think there's something to, if you have a very fast paced offense, especially with roster limitations, the NFL, a defense just being on the field too much and that leading to issues. We saw that with Chip Kelly in Philadelphia, but I don't think that looking at what Cliff Kingsbury has, has done at Texas tech or even the kind of what happens, what defenses normally get paired with these air raid offenses in college. I don't really think that's kind of the way to look at it because college is so predicated on being able to recruit defensive talent. Like your defense is only as good as your ability to recruit defensive talent. As your personnel. Yes. Exactly. And I don't think that that's going to be as much of an issue at, with for no, the Cardinals who no. already have that talent. So well, totally. And that's like a huge different, like that's like a, 
it's one of the reason why Cliff Kingsbury is the kind of guy who could maybe be more successful in the NFL because he doesn't have to worry about scouring the country for talent on defense. You know, he can focus yeah, on the I, thing we know he's good at. Yeah, and and I think that this, and we'll talk about this with Freddie Kitchens later. I think that for him, a, a large part of his success will be what is he able to do with his you know defensive staff. He's a college coach who, like you mentioned, whose team had no success on defense. Can he recruit a great defensive coordinator to basically be the coach of the defense? Which, by the way, is what Sean McVay did with Wade Phillips. I was going to say he needs to kidnap Wade Phillips. That's no. the point, and like that's, that's been, that's I think, I think that's been overlooked with Sean McVay's success is that he has a head coach of the defense, and that guy is one of the best defensive coordinators we've ever seen yeah. in Wade Phillips, and that is a massive part of what McVay has been able to and, do there. And if, if I'm not mistaken, that's kind of what led to. Um, Wade Phillips exiting Denver, right? Because yeah. didn't Denver view him that defense as the head coach and that kind of rubbed people the wrong way in that building? Like they looked to him as a superior authority when he wasn't. He was just a defensive coordinator on that team. I will say though, I mean, like McVay just watching him it's and listening to him, he understands like total total team control and total sure. team building. You know, like just look at how Les Snead has changed his approach with since Sean McVay has joined, right? Les Snead, who we had seen, you know, make some super questionable offseason decisions and offseason draft picks. Now it seems yeah, like they're yeah. hitting on basically. To be honest, it was Fisher. It was Fisher. Let's just well, be real. no, but maybe. But I mean, Snead, Snead has gone from puppet to slightly less of a puppet. Well, but my... but I also think that, and from what I've heard, let's put it that way, Sean McVay has given him far more direction and what he wants at specific positions, specifically the wide receiver spot. Okay. And we've seen, you know, Snead and McVeigh, and I don't want to make this conversation just about the Rams, but change their approach at that position to now in back-to-back off seasons traded high draft picks for a field stretcher veteran. Right. And we never saw that for years. We had Tavon Austin and, and, and uh, Stedman Bailey and some other no names out there. Right. So Stedman it's, Bailey, please. Um, I, I will say this Mike, about Mike Sims Walker. I, I will say this about Cliff. I think it's fascinating that in his press conference, he basically said like he has no names for what who he wants on staff. You know, like he said he's going to leave to lean on Steve Steve Kime for like his Rolodex, basically. And I'm I'm kind of for like not hiring your friends. Um, that you're going to work with and just hire the best out there. But man, it's also like, it's pretty clear. He has no real, I mean, I know he does have NFL connections. His head has never been in the NFL world. Exactly. He's exactly. been a creature of college since his very brief NFL career ended. And we've just heard that like, he might want to hire Jake Spavital as his offensive coordinator. Ray, yeah. have you ever been to Lubbock? Uh, yes. I've been to Lubbock uh, several times, actually thrown a tortilla even. What what is what is Lubbock? I mean, is it an easy uh, place to recruit, especially defensive players? <laughs> no, I would say Lubbock colon not Waco. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, Waco. I, I'd probably rather be in Lubbock than Waco. But the uh, and, and my wife went to Baylor, so there you go. But the <laughs> but yeah, I think that I think that it's not a great place to recruit defenders. And as we we're talking about, I have to say, I I think that the offensive side of this is fascinating because. Yeah. Obviously, there are air raid influences in every NFL offense. Every NFL offense runs four verticals. Everyone has a mesh concept. There, there are there are air raid concepts in all of this. But I think that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but Cliff is the first 
like real how mummy Mike Leach disciple that we've had running in an NFL offense. Am I wrong about that? Or is this the first time we've actually seen this, this real straight off of the tree of Mike Leach, right? This is the first time we've seen this coach show up, right? No, I, I, I think you're kind of right. I think from what I know, you are correct about that. And I know that Josh Rosen's rookie season is like historically bad, not quite as bad as Jared Goff's was. Um, but I'm still think that there's something there with Josh Rosen. And I think that when you get an offense and, um, Kingsbury mentioned this, that he builds an offense through the eyes of the quarterback, which I think is a phrase you'll hear over and over again this off season. But the next spot here, the next plan here is to have five capable starters along that offensive line. That was a major issue this year for the Cardinals. And when you go back and just watch the highlight reel plays, the top plays that Josh Rosen had, it's from clean pockets and clean situations, as is with most quarterbacks, right? But so, to like, I will say Josh Rosen probably exacerbated the offensive line sure, issues too. For I mean, sure, the personnel is terrible. But but what even does that offensive line have to look like? Are they going to use Are they going to use air raid splits in the NFL? What's that going to look like? Are, yeah. Is he going to stick with the four wide offense? Will that even work with roster limitations in the NFL? Like they're the hashes are different, and that presents a an interesting change in how you have to run these plays. Like it's. I'm fascinated by what this is going to look like. I don't know if it's going to work or not. I have, I don't have an opinion on it, but like seeing this offense really just unleashed in its purest form in the NFL is really going to be fast. It's a different thing, but remember that first preseason game we saw with chip Kelly and they just like ran tempo and it was like, Holy crap. We haven't seen this level of tempo (laughs) since college days, right? It's not going to be the same thing with tempo, obviously, but maybe that first preseason game we'll see, you know, I'll be very interested to see what it looks like. They should just come out in the wishbone in their first preseason. (laughs) Just a full house backfield. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and by the way, I mentioned that Kingsbury had been out of a job since November. That's not true. Obviously, he was hired as Say, USC's offensive coordinator. He had a Wikipedia job, the kind of job that shows up on your Wikipedia. Hey, hey where he didn't really do anything. He was undefeated but, with a defense that gave up no points at, at USC. That was, was stunning turnaround. And that, to me, his, his success at USC is what put the move over the top <laughs> for me uh, with the Cardinals. So I just thought that's I, – I would not have been comfortable – uh, with it, without what he did at USC. So moving from a current Arizona Cardinals head coach to a former one, that is Bruce Arians now with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Ray, don't call me cynical for this, but I think it's fascinating that we went from you know week five, six, seven in the season where there were questions if Jameis Winston would be the quarterback in the for this team in 2019 to now basically hiring a head coach with Jameis Winston in mind for 2019. Well, I think that they figured out what the quarterback landscape looks like for the next two years, and it's not great. Like, I mean, the Giants are figuring that out probably uh, right as we speak. So I, I think that they looked at that and they said, all right, we have a guy who, when he's on, he is a exceptional, I don't know, maybe not exceptional, he's a very good quarterback who can certainly make plays, can certainly move the offense, and we saw that this year. And you would say that when Winston is playing well, you mentioned that he is a great fit for Bruce Arians and what, what he's done. And you, you you look at kind of Bruce Arians' history and you say, all right, well, does he have another quarterback in his in his kind of in his past who maybe didn't all wasn't always on, but when he was, he was pretty good. And I would say that Carson Palmer probably fits that hmm. fits that definition pretty well. So I think you look at all of this and you say, yeah, it makes sense what they're doing. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if Winston is going to be able to 
consistently produce and be able to consistently um, consistently accurate down the field as he's going to need to be in this offense. So yeah, I, I think that it's an interesting hire. But I mean, you look at you look at what is out there for quarterbacks, and you say, well, I mean, we can either take a shot with this guy we have and try to see if we can make it work with maybe his best chance. Or we can go into quarterback purgatory, and I, I think that this makes a little more sense. The hiring, you know, if you can't fix Jameis Winston, I guess you might as well try to harness Jameis Winston. And you could certainly say that there's an alignment here between Bruce Arians's philosophy and the way Jameis Winston uh, likes to play quarterback. And it was pretty clear that Bruce Arians, uh, you know, leaking he would only uh, come out of retirement for the Browns job. Uh, pretty clear that he was only going to do this again if he had faith in the quarterback and. Maybe he just got the itch like so uncontrollably he was going to come back no matter what. But it stands the reason uh, if he's taking this job that he thinks he can make some lemons or some lemonade with kind of the lemons Jameis Winston has been serving up so far. And so it, it works from that perspective. Uh, Bruce Arians is kind of a – I feel like one of the rare coaches that were like both sides of the ball kind of take on his personality, kind of like a maybe like a Jim Harbaugh, maybe like a Pete Carroll where uh, – you know, his, his attitude, like his aggression, like just the way he likes to play kind of like kind of likes to play kind of smash mouth defense and likes to play aggressive vertical offense. I think you'll see kind of both side improvement on both sides of the ball immediately. And Bruce Arians kind of a stubborn guy, but he's like stubborn about the right things. At least, you know, if you're going to be stubborn about stuff in the NFL, you'd rather be stubborn about being too aggressive as a, too too run heavy. And uh, see, so I, I think it's a good hire. I mean, maybe, maybe Bruce is a guy who should have stayed retired. Mm-hmm. Uh, showing signs of uh, of wearing out near the end in Arizona, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think all things considered, it's a reason and, pretty good. And hire. whereas with Cliff Kingsbury, he had no names in mind for his staff, basically, uh, it seems like Bruce Aaron already filled his staff completely. You know, it's just so sad because Rex Ryan had a whole staff filled out too, but no one even gave him a call. So uh, why did it work for Bruce Aaron? We, we had Todd Bowles, a defensive coordinator. We have Byron Leftwich, who, you know, was just with Arizona. Um, coach under Bruce Arians there. Let's just say this is the quarterback too. Bruce Arians never had. I mean, you could argue Carson Palmer was a franchise type quarterback, but I mean, broken down Carson Palmer, that was kind of like a, a manage and manipulate yeah. type situation almost for Bruce Arians. And uh, this is the quarterback. I mean, he had Andrew Luck for a year. He had some Ben Roethlisberger, but this is the quarterback he never had in Arizona. And like, uh, be interesting to see like head coach Bruce Arians in control of everything to see what he can do with the quarterback who's only 25 years uh, old. It is interesting to me that Bruce Arians is not going to call plays. He has mentioned that yeah. as well. I don't know if I believe that, despite the, uh, what he said. Because uh, the initial rumor was that he would call plays. Correct. And then, like, uh, 24 hours later is that he will not call plays. And basically, uh, it's, we'll see on that. Is my Ray, the, the odd man out is Todd Munkin here. Well, I don't know if he's going to all, he's going to find a job. Like, I don't think... UFC offensive coordinator. Oh, that would be a fun turn, wouldn't it? No, yeah. He's got a lot of college experience. He's going to, yeah. He's going to... I'm going to guess that he's going to be just fine and, again, be in the head coach interviews uh, in the future. Okay. Wait a minute. Wasn't, isn't he still a isn't he still a candidate for the Bengals? Didn't, that, didn't he interview he, with them? He is. He is a candidate for the Bengals. Um, okay. Let's go to Denver now. So, with Denver, <laughs> we have Matt LaFleur, offense. Cliff Kingsbury, offense. Bruce Arians, Offense, Freddie Kitchens, offense, Adam Gase, offense, Vic Fangio, defense with the Denver Broncos. Raymond, um, this is a great defense he is coming from. Obviously, that was aided by the addition of Cleo Mack. And now we see Vic Fangio, who's had great defenses among multiple uh, decision makers below them, I should say. Now he goes to a defense with Von Miller, 
Bradley Chubb, and a number of other names. What do you think about Vic Fangio in Denver, Ray? Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned this is the one defensive hire so far, and it's a defensive hire because they already had the offensive coach they wanted in-house, and that's Gary Kubiak who's going to be the offensive coordinator and probably function as basically the head coach of the offense. So, yeah, it's it's what like it's one of those situations where they went defensive because they already had the offensive coach that they wanted. As for as for Vic, whose name for some reason I can't say. Say his name again. Fangio. 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 I want it to be Fangio. Like he's in Underworld. Like he's like an extra in Underworld. Like <laughs> Fangio. So Vic Fangio. I mean, you mentioned it. His his credentials as a defensive coach are are among the best out there. Perennial top five defenses in San Francisco. I would say early in his run with the Bears, their defense outproduced their talent. And then once they got the talent, we've seen the last two years what he's been able to do. The Broncos defense was not to the level we've come to expect from Denver this past year, but it, I mean, it still wasn't bad, even though they have issues in the secondary, they, they were able to be fifth in DVOA. Uh, they were fifth in takeaways. They were tied for eighth in sacks. Now I think they're going to get a coaching upgrade, assuming that he can handle these kind of increased responsibilities and still retain his ability as a defensive coordinator. So yeah, I think that I think that this is a a fine hire if you are comfortable with Gary Kubiak running your offense. But I, I mean, ultimately, none of this matters as we've learned in Denver now. None of this matters unless they fix quarterback, something that right. John Elway has consistently failed to do. Unless that changes, then it, none of this probably is going to matter at all. And every team that has hired a head coach now, other than the Broncos have a quarterback in place. The two yeah. that haven't, Miami certainly does not have a quarterback in place, and Cincinnati, I guess, does, if you want to believe in purgatory with Andy Dalton. <laughs> Denver, Pat, they have to make a move at quarterback this offseason, and who's making that move but loyal Rotor Road Football podcast listener John Elway? <laughs> I was just saying, I think maybe, I mean, did John Elway kind of like accidentally like blunder into an innovative approach here? Uh can I say accidentally because I mean, if you hired Mike Munchak, who was apparently the other finalist, uh, would have been a one of the worst hires in quite a while, in my opinion. But now he's kind of he's got like the I don't know. Has there ever been a team that's had this clear of like a two CEO yeah. approach? Where like Ray said, Gary Kubiak is clearly the head coach of the offense, and Vic Fangio is going to be clearly the head coach of the defense. And, and this is the clearest I've ever seen. Vic Fangio now this is an arrangement he's probably going to be pretty comfortable with because is basically what he had in Chicago this year. Uh, it was kind of what he had in San Francisco at times. So he's probably a guy who's going to be completely comfortable kind of handing off the keys to the offense. You know, maybe not. Maybe once you get that taste of, of power, like he is the guy running the show. Once you're in that maybe, chair, right, Hugh Jackson? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe he'll want to take a greater hand. But, you know, this kind of seems like an arrangement that uh, Vic Fangio is probably comfortable with because he's been in it before and could – just, you know, Gary Kubiak's got a pretty great resume. Uh, even even at the end, he was doing uh, some good stuff with Trevor Simeon. And, and like this this approach can kind of only work if you know someone's not going to poach uh, either of your coaches. And we know Gary Kubiak, probably for health reasons at this point, is not going to be leaving for another head coaching right. job ever. So maybe the Broncos, kind of a strange process, have kind of like backed in to what's going to be a good approach for them where they have Vic Fangio runs the defense, Gary Kubiak runs the offense, and uh, – together that uh, rising tide lifts all boats. Um, okay. You, you mentioned Hugh Jackson. So let's move on over to the Browns Browns. What a story this is, man. Freddie kitchens started the season as the running backs coach. Then we all know what happened with Hugh Jackson getting fired. Todd Haley getting fired. Freddie kitchens then gets upgraded to offensive coordinator. And I don't believe he had called plays at any level of football. I, I think he did call plays 
in the fourth preseason game of the season. But prior to that, never, ever. And he does According to Wikipedia, he began his coaching career at Glenville right. State in 1999. Vaunted powerhouse. And he was the running he was the running backs coach and tight ends coach. And yeah, there's no offensive coordinator right. work on his resume. But it's not like this guy is new. You know, this isn't a Cliff Kingsbury move, obviously. It's not even a Matt LaFleur move. Like, Freddie Kitchens has been around the league for quite a long time. He did a great job when taking over as offensive play caller. But now, rather than hire the head coach that was the interim title with Greg Williams, instead, it seems like Ray to me that the Browns just didn't want to lose Freddie Kitchens in any situation, right? And so maybe if you want to put it on, if you want to put it this way, they're hiring him a year or two too early. But does that ultimately matter because of the success he had? And it seemed like a close relationship he had with Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I think that that's really the the overall point here is when you looked at their situation and their options, you'd say, all right, we have a guy on staff who connected over the back half of the season with the guy who we're going to build our franchise around. And over the over the last eight games with Kitchen running the offense, Baker Mayfield completed 68.4% of his passes. He averaged 8.6 yards per attempt, and he threw 19 touchdowns against eight interceptions. Now, he had a couple you know rookie games in that run, and schedule certainly helped. But you had a coach on staff that got your rookie quarterback to go and do that. Why are you going to take that that person out of that rookie quarterback's life? And you mentioned it. Perhaps you make him offensive coordinator, but uh, our colleague Nick Menzio has been making this point for a while now, is if you make him offensive coordinator, then in two years when he's successful, someone's going to go and take him away right. from you as a, head, as a head coach, or maybe even one year as we saw with Matt Fleur. And so then you have to go and scramble and find a new one. You just make him the head coach. He's going to be there if he's successful and if this can, success continues in the long haul. And then you figure the rest of it out. I think that this made a lot of sense, assuming that they're going to be able to continue this offensive success. I think it makes a lot of sense. But you mentioned it's not exactly like Cliff Kingsbury, and I agree with that because, because Kitchens has been in the league. But he has the same faces the same scenario. It's all going to be about who is he able to get on the defensive side of the ball, and is that coach, is this probably a veteran coach, is that coach going to be able to just handle everything over there? So in his first year as a head coach, he's able to do what he does well, which is coach the offense. And I think that that's going to, that's going to go a long way into seeing how successful this move is. And Pat, not to cut you off, it was either Frisco Josh or Warren Sharp tweeted this, like how different the Browns defense was from the first part of the season to the later part. And I know that Denzel Ward was hurt and that's a major part, but they created so many turnovers at the start and then failed to do so in the second half. So yeah, I mean, it obviously is a big-time hire. But, Pat, as we have seen with this, every single coach except for Vic Fangio, they've been hired because of the quarterback. Yes, and as we've seen with Baker Mayfield and his reaction to post-Browns Hugh Jackson, uh, hell hath no fury like a Baker Mayfield scorned. And he must have made it very clear that he would like to retain Freddie Kitchens. And cl- clearly this move is not made unless Baker Mayfield is all in. And at least for half the season, you know, the results, you just truly cannot argue with them. And we've seen now interim coaches get retained to a disastrous effect in the past. Uh, Romeo Cronell uh, comes to mind. But uh, just uh, it's, it's just kind of it's, – it's audacious. It's very daring. It's almost as daring as the Freddie Kitchens hire because, like we said, this is a guy who never even coordinated an offense before, and now he's going to be a head coach. But it's this – the whole – the fate of the Cleveland Browns franchise hinges on Baker Mayfield. This is clearly the move that they thought was best for Baker Mayfield. 
And so it's hard to argue with it from that perspective. Uh, I will say, look how amazing, like think of all the stuff that had to happen for Freddie Kitchens to even amazing. get this chance. Like basically had to have two dunce coaches uh, get in a power struggle with each, each other and then both lose and get fired. And he only got the job like an emergency basis. And then he took it and ran with it and like shined. And just think of basically how many other Freddie Kitchens are out there while like, like Dirk Cutter gets hired to coordinate the Falcons offense for the second time. So we need teams to be more bold with these hires. We're seeing teams be more bold with these hires this year. And it could, this could spectacularly yeah. fail. Like it really could. I mean, this is a guy, he's, a, he's an unknown, but uh, I think it was the right kind of risk for, for the Cleveland Browns. And, and I have no time. numbers to back this up, but Ray, to your point, it kind of feels like more and more we are seeing head coaches calling plays. And to me, that's because if your offensive coordinator is calling plays, there's no sure thing that your offensive coordinator is going to be there the next year. Right. And so like if the most important relationship on an NFL team is the person who's calling plays and your quarterback and that leading to success, then almost certainly your head coach should be the one doing that. Yeah, I agree with that. I have to cite Nick again. What he's been saying makes so much sense is if there, if you make the player, if you make the coach that everybody else is going to want to poach. If you just make that coach the head coach, then they can't come and get that. It's like promoting a player you don't want to lose off the practice squad late in the year. All right, you've done it. Nobody else is going to come and get that Speak. that player, that coach, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I've got, teams are finally. I'm going to, teams are finally getting the memo. Like to oversimplify it, but scheme is paramount on offense in the NFL. Personnel is paramount on defense. And if I'm ever, which I never will be, in charge of an NFL team. But to me, the only place I would look at head coach is offensive play caller, someone who runs his own offense, someone who maybe calls yeah. his own plays. And to, that's just the only way. I completely agree with Nick. I feel like it's by far and away the best way to build. Speaking of, the team. Patriots just moved Steven Anderson up to their, to their uh, real squad, to their 53. So I'm sure he's going to score that's four touchdowns, because, right? I believe that's just because Jacob Hollister nope. got hurt. But four touchdowns. You live your coming. dreams. You live your dreams. Also, and it wasn't, me who pointed this out, I believe it was SB Nation's West Virginia Twitter account pointed out that uh, the Browns played the Cardinals this year. And um, let's just say that Baker Mayfield and Cleef Kingsbury are not on good terms, it seems like, because obviously Baker transferred out of there when he did not win that starting job. So that will be fun to watch as well. Okay, let's close it out with the final hire that is... Baker Mayfield big on feuding. I like that. I love it, man. Yeah, let's close up with the final hire that as of this recording, and that is Adam Gase to the New York Jets. Uh, we are staying inside the division here, Pat, with Adam Gase moving from the Dolphins to a team that has the quarterback with Sam Darnold and the New York Jets. Yeah, we were kind of talking about earlier, like I kind of made the point with the Cardinals, where they're throwing everything to the wind other than Cliff Kingsbury's like offensive mind. Like, you know, they have no idea what kind of leader he'll be at the NFL level. And like, that kind of stuff can be overrated. Like we just spent like an entire podcast talking about how important it is to have like a, a firm vision for your offense. But Adam Gase has a firm vision for an offense. But to me, what the main takeaway from Adam Gase is three years in Miami was that he was someone who should be an offensive coordinator and not a head coach. Uh, he seemed to be uniquely bad at like kind of the leading aspects of a football team and basically constantly feuding his players, constantly shipping people out. Uh, when he's fired, you, you didn't have anyone sticking up for him. You had people openly celebrating. You had Jarvis Landry this year, all year in Cleveland, needling uh, Adam Gase. And you take a personality who maybe he can learn, but 
when you, pr- you take a personality who failed that way in Miami, uh, which is, it's a big media market, but it is nothing like what the New York Jets media market is. Uh, the New York media is a, uh, quite hot on coaches. And <laughs> when you just take someone who failed and who failed the way Adam Gase failed in Miami and then put them in that media market, it just seems like a very combustible uh, kind of maybe doomed to fail marriage. But I still think Adam Gase, uh, you could actually argue that the Dolphins offense overachieved for a lot of Adam Gase's time in Miami. Uh, disastrous personnel, uh, like team dissension. But of course, a lot of that was Adam Gase's fault. So I, I wouldn't have been surprised to see Adam Gase bounce back as an offensive coordinator. As a head coach, uh, I'm very worried. Ray, uh, Adam Gase in three seasons with the Dolphins was 23 and 25. Is it fair to say that the Jets just hired a proven loser? No, because like, so to Pat's point, I was so torn on Adam Gaze and whether or not he should have been fired. And in fact, I believe the reason he ended up getting fired was not because of his performance on the field, but because of the fact that he and the owner basically uh, came just, they were butting heads all the time, which speaks to Pat's point about how Gaze apparently is just terrible man manager. And that's such an important part of being a head coach that he's right. You look at it, but then you also go and look at, what he was able to do with the personnel that he didn't actively hate. And you could, you would say that he overachieved. I mean, go look at Ryan Tannehill's and I obviously he wasn't yeah. there for 2017, but go look at Ryan Tannehill's rate stats and what he was do- did with gays versus earlier in his career. Go and look at this team's expected win totals during based on their, based on their um, points scored and, and points allowed during Gaze's tenure. And then go look at their actual record. Like you can argue that this team overachieved. Now they mm-hmm. lost out on talent because Gaze, you know, traded away Jay Ajahi, hates Kenyon Drake apparently, and uh, <laughs> put sent Devontae Parker to boarding school or something. So you could, it could be Devontae Parker's fault, but yeah, he, uh, he was not yeah, a fan so of Devontae like, Parker. You look at all of that and you say, you look at all of that and you say, all right, so that's on gaze. But then you look at what happened on the field and you say, well, you might argue that they overachieved and it's really a difficult thing to say. I think Pat's right that he's probably better suited to be an offensive coordinator where maybe, maybe there's a head coach that the, that the the students can go ahead of him and say, "Hey, this is what this guy is doing to us. Could you maybe put it in check?" But I, yeah, I think that you look on the field and you say, "Well, maybe overseas." So I'm really torn on this. I, I wouldn't probably hire him to be a head coach, but I kind of understand why. Yeah, it's risky, but it's not a guaranteed failure. I would not sit here and say Adam Gase is guaranteed to fail. In, any early dibs on which offensive player in the Jets he's going to hate this year? Like, I think he's going to love Quincy Nunwa. Is it Robbie Anderson? Who's going Isaiah Crowell. He's going to okay. hate Isaiah Crowell. We all do, so that works. Well, there's pretty much. I can't see him in any way, uh, shape, or form getting along with Robbie Anderson. Oh yeah, but, but that uh, one. Um, by the way, you mentioned butting heads with the Dolphins' management and decision makers. Uh, he's moving possibly to an yeah. even worse franchise than the New York exactly. Jets. I guess I think st- people don't realize how meddlesome Stephen Ross is. The Jets are a chaotic organization. But I think, I think the Dolphins, you know, we, we view the Dolphins as a dysfunctional franchise, but I don't think people view it as a dysfunctional franchise because of the owner enough. And to me, Stephen Ross is a very bad owner. And if anyone ever wants a window into Stephen Ross, you should read a New Yorker. There was a huge New Yorker article on him last year that was not about football. It was kind of about his, like, quixotic quest to get this, like, art installation built in New York. <laughs> And it gave a, a very interesting window into Stephen Ross's uh, management stuff. Yeah, and obviously the Matt Rule reports have come out since Adam Gase's hiring. Um, apparently that the Jets wanted input and even to decide some of his staff. And Matt Rule said, uh-uh, not having any of that. So really it came down to 
they really didn't want Matt Rule if that was the rule that they were going with. Hey, very um, good. Very, very go. good. And and we still have Cincinnati and Miami without coaches as of this time. And Mike McCarthy has officially said that he is sitting out the 2019 season. Fellas, do you want to sit out the 2019 season as well? We can take a one-year <laughs> sabbatical. Can I make – the Bengals are just giving Marvin Lewis more time to work on his disguise, and they rehire someone who seems suspiciously similar to Marvin like Lewis. But, uh, yeah, no, no, they're going to – they're rehiring. They're going to rehire Marvin Lewis, not okay. you. They're just giving Marvin some time to right. kind of get we things We heard, in order. like, a single word on Miami's coaching search so far. Uh, they, they really like Flores. Uh, Isn't that right? Oh, Brian Flores. Okay. Flores or Chris Richard. Oh, Chris Richard. Too. So I think maybe they're waiting. On maybe that. don't quote me. So basically that. these teams are waiting on others to finish out their playoffs. This, can this I make point. a, can I make a plea? And I, yes. I know that he just took the job at Houston, but can somebody hire Dana Holgerson? Oh, no. Because he's my spirit <laughs> Look, if, animal. If succeeds, man. We might think, get a whole hashtag Pandora's box here. Can we get Dana Gundy? Can we get, please get Mike Gundy in the NFL? Like there just are hire so them many. all together. Put them on one team together. Oh, that would, would be, be fun. Heaven. And, put them on hard and then knocks. make it hard knocks because Gundy, <laughs> Gundy and Holgerson and Leach all on the same, all on the same coaching staff. It's just a dream. That's just, we, we don't need a whole coach. We just need one man. We need Mike Leach <laughs> to go from the Northwestern most corner of the country to the Southeastern most corner of the yeah. country. That's what there we need. Uh, always something to look forward to fellas. Thanks so much for, uh, helping me out on this podcast. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed it for any moment, hit that subscribe button, share it, rate and review. It helps us out as well. We'll be back later on this week to preview the four playoff games of the weekend. So till then, talk to y'all soon. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.